We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Welcome to Behind the Headlines on the South Radio Network. I'm Joe Quinn, and as usual, my co-hosts this week are Neil Bradley. Hi, everyone. And Harrison Keeley. Hello. So this world has um, gone to hell in a handbasket. Again? Uh, no, it's really gone this time. Well, it's it's on the sticks anyway. You know what they call that river in Hatties? Yeah, it's on the sticks, and it's moving down. I think there's a waterfall at the end that goes into another level of hell. Yeah, and it just keeps going. It's like the water locks of right. river sticks. Yeah, and eventually comes back to the beginning again. Yeah. Go around and around in a hellish loop. Um, yeah, I mean... Another plane has no, I mean, fallen out of the sky. But it's, no, it's not just that. It's um, The world obviously is entirely and massively messed up. Uh, I mean, has anybody noticed that? Has anybody, has anybody listening to the show noticed just how screwed up our world is? Um, there's, you have kind of a call in and tell us about it. You have to call in and tell us about it, but uh, otherwise we'll just tell you because it's it's really not looking good. It's I understand that people may not notice it because it's not it's not the kind of thing it's not the kind of thing where it goes from uh, Valhalla or Utopia to suddenly horrible. There's a kind of proverbial boiling frog kind of thing going on where people are acclimatized slowly to worse and worse conditions from, well, on the planet itself in terms of social conditions, environmental conditions, but also in terms of the excesses and criminality and psychopathology of the leaders. Uh, They get away with more and more and people just seem to, you know, not do very much about it. Of course, the question is what can anybody do, do about it? Uh, that's a really that's a difficult question to answer. Well, I don't know if it has an answer. Worse, people react in ever crazier ways because they're stressed by it, although they don't identify the source of their stress. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was just that's just a little opening question. Have you noticed that the whole place is messed up really badly? Uh, I mean, just try and think of even something that's like a half normal or half decent world to live in, and then compare it to, you know what's going on on a daily basis uh, on this planet. Uh, of course, to do that comparison, you need to know what's actually happening. And of course, there's a lot of lies and um, manipulation and spin within the media that attempts to convince people that nothing bad is happening or that if something bad is happening, it's always the bad guys over there and our governments are here to, um, in theory, make you feel like the world isn't such a bad place, at least our governments are trying to protect us. But if you understand, it's not hard with a little bit of research or a little bit of looking behind the headlines to realize that uh, your governments aren't interested in protecting you. They're interested in owning you and effectively enslaving you uh, in one way or another. Then the picture becomes pretty clear. Um, Yeah, Neil brought up the... uh, the crash of the destruction, the obliteration, the dismemberment, and more ways than one of um, the plane and its passengers. Um, 
Sinai, the Russian plane over the Sinai Desert in Egypt. How long ago was it now? Nine days? Yeah, 31st of October. That was a Saturday, was it? I believe so. Well, it was the day, it was, it was Halloween night. Yeah. So, yeah, it was the Saturday. It was Saturday, so it was just over a week ago, and we mentioned it on last week's show after our interviews with Eva and um, Navid. Navid, Navid. Um, but we didn't have, there was very little information at that point. It was, it was you know, really 24 hours or so afterwards, so we didn't have much to say, but uh, we have more to say tonight about it uh, with more information, or rather a lack of information that has come out about it effectively, of course. Lots is being said, but not a lot of evidence is being presented. A lot of spin is happening, as you probably already know, and if you don't, we're going to talk about that. Um, well, the position now, the official line is the U.S. government is 99.9% certain. That's a high level of certainty oh, that it was a pre-planted bomb by ISIS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is just hard. It's hard to pick through, but I mean, we need to bring everybody back to reality and realize that no investigation has has actually taken place. No investigation can actually take place until several weeks, more likely months, have passed until it can be actually investigated. So all of the stuff you think you know about the plane that crashed or the Russian plane that crashed is you don't know that. You're just being told that you know it, mm-hmm. but you don't know it. Um, of course, we noticed the British and American governments in particular, they couldn't resist capitalizing on it and they just run with the fact that the plane crashed and killed everyone on board uh, to do what they usually do, which is talk a lot about, well, first of all, they say, as Neil just said, 99% sure, 99.9% sure that a bomb, with no evidence that a bomb uh, destroyed the plane, and therefore we're going to have to look at increasing security at airports. Surprise, surprise. I mean, everybody's happy with that, right? You're going to, the already unpleasant experience at airports is going to get worse because they have flagrantly and egregiously leaped to conclusions about this crash and decided that it was terrorists and terrorists that put a bomb on the plane and therefore all airports that are now potentially bomb targets from by ISIS will have to be looked at Um how much worse can airport security get? I mean, it's take off your belt, take off your shoes, don't bring any liquids. Get scanned in a backscatter for uh, so, Americans. And if not, then you get, get radiated. A, full, a full body pat down. Full body pat down. Well, the next logical step is strip naked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, what they're talking about here is just increasing the fear uh, around flying and also screening every every worker at an airport so that airports will become like and almost like prisons, you know, where the kind of security you have in a prison to get in and out, for example, as a visitor, that'll be the kind of security for passengers yeah. and the employees will be like almost like the inmates almost because they'll all be potential terrorists who could be plotting to carry a bomb, especially the baggage handlers. Yeah. You know, those guys, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if all of them just are relevant to decide to leave their job in a few months after they, they impose these ridiculous new new measures where they're going to be basically watching everybody 24-7. And there, everybody's going to feel like a, like a terrorist. There know? is a multi-level pattern going at least back to 9-11 where the airports were kind of like the proving ground for rolling out new measures and new tech. And it didn't end there. 
then they progress to stadia for sporting and cultural events, searching, yeah. frisking, <clears throat> only have so many liquids, et cetera, et cetera. So the airports are like a ideal. They, they're like a place we have to go through. Yeah. And they're under control. But this is, it's, it's absolutely and obviously disingenuous. You know, it's very hard for people to see yeah. through it because they're being terrorized into accepting these kind of measures, these police state measures all around, particularly in the West, by governments. But um, if you just allow yourself to think a little bit conspiratorially and look at the nature and the words, and the actions of these people who are promoting this kind of um, police state infrastructure, these people cannot be trusted. They're very disreputable, uh, dishonest people who should not be trusted. So when they say that they're protecting you, you should look, you should you should distrust that and look uh, to what their real agenda might be. It's it's like you know it's like you have some friend or something who you know hires someone or has another friend who periodically sneaks out of a bush or something and beats you over the head and then runs away and you don't see it happening. And your friend says, well, did someone hit you again? Oh, well, listen, you better come with me. Come with me and I'll protect you. You know, and you repeatedly get beaten on the head with a stick and you're wondering what the hell is going on. You think that someone's out to get you, you know, and your friend is the one offering the protection. He says, come and live with me. Come into my house and I will protect you. And it just puts you in a complete state of compliance and fear or based on fear to that person because they are your protector. But I mean, that, that's a decent enough analogy to what's actually happening to the public at large, which is they're being periodically terrorized by government so that, that, the, that the people themselves will look to their government for protection from the bogus threat that the, that the government itself is uh, creating for the population. And we've noted before that flying is, flights, aircraft, being in the air is, they, they hit that button yeah, a lot. Yeah, it's, it is, which isn't to preclude that that's definitely what happened here, but it's no, obvious if that they, at least some of them, 9/11 was obviously focused on airplanes. Yeah, they, if they want to ramp up the fear factor to the max, what they do is they go for an airplane because that's where people feel the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Of course, other places, other public places like malls or whatever, shopping centres, etc. Uh, you know, cinemas. Cinemas. I mean, look at the schools where these attacks have, have happened. I mean, there's obviously a hand behind this. And of course, you can say it's terrorists <clears throat> who are doing this, and they would obviously be of the same mindset to attack people in the West uh, at their most vulnerable uh, spots. But when you, who are the terrorists then? It becomes a question. <clears throat> and over the past month, <clears throat> in particular, since Russia began uh, airstrikes in Syria, it has become very clear that Western governments are fully in bed with the terrorists. The terrorists are effectively owned by Western governments. That much should be clear to everybody at this stage. Uh, in which case, the terrorist threat should be seen as effectively coming from Western governments. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a major leap to to conclude that. Um, and you don't even have to read into the news very much to get those conclusions. No. Like... Even if you just follow official statements from just the U.S., or if you read some like Russian sources, Lavrov in the past week just came out and said the obvious, from which you can derive the the correct conclusion. He said, "Well, the U.S. says that they have locations uh, where ISIS is in Syria, but they won't tell us." So, I mean, what can you derive from that? 
Yeah, that they don't want you to <laughs> to attack those terrorists. Yeah, and because in, there are terrorists. Yeah, and in addition to um, the government just continually terrorizing the population, it continually feeds just barefaced, utter, obvious lies, and it should be completely obvious, even without any kind of external analysis. It's just obvious on the surface of it. So with with this Russian plane crash, we have the UK and the US coming out right away saying it was ISIS and they know it was ISIS. To use your like schoolyard analogy, this is like hearing from a friend that goes to a different school, you know, across the city. Oh, you know, uh, someone got beat up, but we don't know who it is. And then your friend that goes to school with you in your school, like halfway across town says, oh, you know, I know what happened. It was this guy and he did this. And and this is the first time he's heard about it. Well, how does he know? He can't possibly know, and yet he's saying it. So you'd think that people would have some kind of natural skepticism when they hear the U.S. saying this right after it happens, right. when there hasn't been an investigation. I mean, mm-hmm. or you can take the um, the tactic or, or take the line of the Russians. This is a good one. Um, the Russia's foreign ministry spokesperson, uh, Maria Zakharova, she responded to these U.K. and... Uh, American claims and well, the UK claims said it is genuinely shocking to think that the British government has some kind of information that could cast light on what happened in the skies above Egypt. If such information exists, and judging by what the foreign secretary has said it is, no one has passed it to the Russian side. Mm. So you can, I mean, I just imagine her saying this very sarcastically, even though she probably didn't, because mm. <laughs> she's just taking them at their word and saying, oh, well, if you guys know this, why didn't you tell us? Or why don't you tell us? I mean, these politicians and the media are encouraging people uh, to think about this Russian crash in Egypt in absolutely ridiculous and nonsensical, illogical ways. Like, for example, the Observer, a newspaper, the, the Sunday version of the of the British Guardian newspaper, uh, said recently that um, they had learned that Egyptian airport and security officials had launched an investigation into the staff at the Sharm el-Sheikh airport, uh, which was the airport from which the Russian plane departed, uh, they're they're investigating airport staff at this airport who came into contact with the Russian plane, i.e. baggage handlers, whoever Mm -hmm. else. Um, And then they follow that up. Okay, that's an investigation. Very good. But what's the conclusion then, observer? Well, the conclusion is the move has increased speculation that a bomb may have been smuggled onto an aircraft. It's like, well, that's, that's like saying that the police who go to a crime scene in a residential area and the, observe, the reporters are there and they see the police going door to door asking questions of all of the residents in the area and saying, this has increased speculation that police suspect that a massive neighborhood conspiracy was involved in the perpetration of this crime, that each of the neighbors in the neighborhood all were somehow involved in this crime. That's more or less exactly the same thing. No, when they, when they talk to or investigate the people at the Sharm el-Sheikh airport, they do that as part of an investigation, right? I mean, do these idiots not know that that's how you conduct an investigation? When something happens, you go and you follow a procedure. You go start you, go and you start to talk to people, you look at people who might be involved, or you just ask people questions who might have seen something, whatever. But no, according to the Western media, this is speculation, or it leads to speculation that we're 99% sure that a bomb blew up this plane and that it was placed on board at the airport by some ISIS operative. Mm. 
boom, there you go, done. It's absolutely like the Brits are innate. very are very good at the. Uh, this is paralogical suggestion. It's just constantly suggesting things, and on the basis of their own suggestion put forward, here's their conclusion. Not just the observer, a, a paper on the right of the British spectrum, not that it makes has any meaning. Uh, the Telegraph, I think, had they sent one of their journalists to Sharm El Sheikh in in the weeks since the crash, and had him attempt and succeed in bribing someone, a security worker at the airport, to not put his bag through screening for like $20 or something. Right. As soon as he gets out the other side, he has a selfie of his bag at the airport and does a full, a full story on it. Look, see how easy it is to get past. Therefore, this increases right. the suspicion that ISIS put a bomb on the plane this way. Well, well, what this is, obviously, is just one more example of how the West, Western governments and, and, and the media that, that serve them, have always gone about the process of fixing facts around a policy, they all have an established narrative that is this broad narrative about how the world works and how anything major that happens in the world must fit into that narrative and how the West understands it, so this West-centric view of the world. And anything that happens on a global scale, they immediately go into this uh, process of fixing the facts to suit the pre-established narrative. It's just so ridiculous. I mean, it's so far from objective or impartial as the Western media claims itself to be, that it's ridiculous, you know. Best example, obviously, is uh, that that term fixing the facts around the policy is exactly what uh, the British government was doing uh, leading up to the Iraq war. They decided Saddam had weapons of mass destruction as what they wanted to be true, and then said, now go ahead and find the evidence to back that up, and if you need to, make it up. So let's fix those facts around this bullshit policy, this fantasy. You know, it's like, I want unicorns to exist. No, unicorns exist. Now, where are my minions to go and glue a horn onto the front of a horse, onto a horse's head, and paint it in rainbow colors? Get a and photo. Then, and then parade it out in front of the, the cameras and say, let's invade that unicorn. Well, it reminds me of... <laughs> Uh, v for Vendetta. That's one of my favorite parts of that movie is how the media works in there because I, it's got to be yeah. so close to the truth. Yeah. Like when V in the first, you know, in the first part of the movie, he destroys the which building? Uh, the the, the, the old Bailey Tower. Yeah. The no, yeah. no, 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 the old uh, Bailey. Yeah, the old Bailey, which is the High Court in London. So he he blows it up, and the next day on the news, he said, you know, they have this whole narrative ready about how the demolition had been planned for ages, the structural integrity had been compromised. Right. And, and oh, the you know the the crew decided to give us a surprise with the fireworks, mm -hmm. and and then when when V goes into the to the media center, and they they shoot one of the guys that V had put the mask on, and then they present it as evidence that they'd shot the terrorist. He's dead, and so you just imagine these these media types with their CAA or government handlers, you know, getting mm -hmm. together in a room, and something happens. They say, okay, well, what's the story we want to tell? And now, how are we going to tell it? Mm. So we have the story. Okay, so with the with the Russian plane, okay, well, we want it to be ISIS. That's the narrative we're creating. So let's just put that into any story possible and any little thing that can be possibly twisted to give that, let's do it. Okay, so they're interviewing people at the airport. Oh, well, obviously, okay, we can spin that to mean that they're, that, oh, obviously they think it's a bomb. So let's just go with that. And everything comes back around to this narrative, no matter how nonsensical, no matter how much of a non sequitur it is, they do it and they get away with it. Mm. And it's completely ridiculous. They get away with it by being loudest and firstest. Yeah.
The, the most important thing here is setting the, and the, and the media know this, and, that's, and governments know it in the West, is the most important thing in any major event that happens, you establish a narrative from the get-go. As soon as you can cobble something together, uh, you throw it out there immediately and give widespread coverage to it so that you infect everybody's minds and people in that uh, immediate aftermath of this kind of a or kind of traumatic to one extent or another event, they're kind of open to a certain extent. They're psychologically open, and they're that means they're more easily programmable with whatever appears in front of their face as an explanation for what happened. Because people after a trauma really want to know how did this happen, what happened, and what, as long as you get in there first and spread that message, it doesn't matter what happens afterward. Two, three, four weeks or months afterwards, you can come out and actually change your story quietly and say, yeah. That's not actually what happened. It's something totally different. But it doesn't matter because, and you can say it quietly because, you know, you know no one's interested because they've already been told what actually happened yeah. in the immediate aftermath. I mean, go and ask anybody today um, what happened to M817 over Ukraine last year. Putin slash the rebels shot it down. Yeah. Uh, but that's not actually what the official report that came, that came out over a year later, a year and a half later, just a few, a few weeks ago, said. Same with Iraq or Afghanistan. It doesn't matter. And because when you hear a story, um, I, there's names for, for the, all these cognitive biases. I think this one could fall under the, the what you see is what you get thing that Kahneman talked about. We had it on the show a month or two ago. Because when you hear a story, you automatically put yourself in that story and experience it as if it's real. Right. So that's what you do when you read fiction. Mm-hmm. Now, so you've heard a story a narrative and you respond to that story as if it's true. So Putin shot down this plane. You react emotionally to that story. Right. And that's the memory. And that's the memory. Mm -hmm. So the job's already done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what, what the, what the truth truth is, what the story actually comes out because you've already responded emotionally to that story. Right. And that's all. And you don't have a memory associated with it. Right. You have a visceral memory of it. That really happened because I felt it at the time. Um, but getting back to what we were saying at the beginning about uh, if you look, and it has been revealed pretty clearly to anybody who's watching that uh, these jihadis, ISIS, you know, moderate rebels, there's no difference. These are these nutjob mercenaries that are bought and paid for by the West and its client states in the Middle East. Um, with that, given that fact, given that the West basically owns these jihadis, it's interesting to hear that there's a, I mean, there was initially after the Russian plane went down, there was a, uh, a claim of responsibility by some unknown jihadi group in Egypt, and they've released this very poorly put together video of a plane with very low resolution, very low, low resolution video of a plane in the distance flying away, and then this kind of explosion and black smoke trailing out of it, and the plane continues flying on. But they forgot, obviously, <laughs> this is kind of like a CGI type situation, you know, and uh, they're using real footage of a plane flying away but they put in the explosion and the smoke. But they had a problem in that they couldn't actually manipulate the real plane and make it do what it should have done after it blew up and black smoke was coming out of it, i.e. at least change course a bit or start to go down a little bit. Or, But the plane just kept flying straight on into the distance, you know, like as if a bomb, uh, an explosion had no effect on it. But these guys then put out another uh, statement uh, just recently uh, where they, again... Mm, expressly describe, uh, expressly take responsibility for it, but also expressly describe the retaliation for Russian strikes in Syria. 
Now, if I employ henchmen, if I'm a member a big boss in the mafia, and I employ henchmen to go and you know give someone a warning, somebody who isn't paying their dues or whatever, or paying their their monthly subscription to the mafia magazine, uh, and I want to go and give them a warning and you know break up their shop or break up their legs or something like that. Uh, and I tell them why, what I, what, or, or my, my henchmen tell them, tell the, the victim why this is happening. The victim obviously knows that who the mess is coming from, right? That it's not necessarily the henchmen or the thugs mm-hmm. that you have to kind of pay your dues to. It's, it's, it's the, it's the controllers, the, 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 dawn, the, owners, the dawn behind them. Yeah. Now the dawn behind, uh, these, Jihadis are obviously Western governments, and like we said, they're client regimes in in, in the Middle East. So um, these jihadis are saying it's for it's retaliation for Russian airstrikes in Syria. Well, yeah, this is basically more or less uh, an attack by proxy, effectively by Western governments of some description on Russia in retaliation for Russian airstrikes yeah. in Syria, which have seriously pissed off. Western governments are the capital of evil, effectively, in this world, which is lost right now in Washington, D.C. Washington, yeah. it, it is, in effect, a true statement. This is retaliation for mm-hmm. you intervening want to go to the day and mucking up. Nice little thing we had going right. Yeah, that was exactly one month. The Russian airstrike started on 31st of September. The Russian 30th, event, yeah. last, day, last day, yeah. Last day of September, the last day of, of October, the Russian plane shot down over Egypt of Russian civilians. I think the, the, that it was Egypt is interesting, in, possibly in terms of the war on terror slash intervention by Russia in the Middle East, because it does look like Egypt under this CC guy um, is taking the side of, to put bluntly, the Russians. Yeah, he's more open to... Yeah. He's not the only one, though. No, he's not, he's not the only one. But a lot of countries are are looking in that direction, looking in Russia's direction, because Russia's emergence for the past few years onto the world stage as a major world player. So it's only natural that countries around the world would start to look to Russia as this kind of new kid on the block, effectively, with lots of offer and lots of deals to do, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, it's normal. It's part of uh, Putin's much so great one. Everybody just does business together. and. It's not just about America dominating everyone as it has done for the past 68 years. The, the, the only reason I bring it up is because, just to fill in the question of, okay, it's retaliation for Russia, but hey, Egypt got a bad deal here right, too. Right, did, yeah. And, well, it could have been anywhere else. It could have been a plane yeah. flying over Turkey. Yeah, it's a message but to Russia and a message What's to going Egypt. to happen to Egypt now? They are going to lose, I heard a figure of 7% of their tourism. Yeah, I saw 80. Okay, yeah. In in the region and probably nationally as well. Right. So just just to make it clear, we're not talk, we're not saying that there was a bomb on the plane. We're saying that Western governments are saying that there was a bomb on the plane, and that just simply uh, is a bogus narrative to back up the ISIS threat. Uh, and it's a it's a narrative that would say, well, ISIS, you know, is angry at Russia for bombing ISIS in Syria. Why do we not like bomb on the plane theory? We don't like the bomb on the plane theory because, well, there's no evidence for it, for a start. 
Um, but then again, a lot of evidence for what exactly they had. Based on circumstantial evidence and context, we can say that uh, it's likely that the plane was shot down one way or another by agents of Western governments or those working on behalf of standing behind Western governments, the, the US empire effectively, because in the context that makes the most sense. Um, you initially wrote something offering a broader possibility yeah. that there may have been a natural cause for it. Right. Uh, could you relate how you went from that narrowed down to a man-made cause of some sort? Well, my initial thoughts on it were actually, the first thing that came to my mind was, uh, as strange as it might sound, uh, uh, some kind of EMP, electromagnetic pulse from somewhere, a plane, a drone from the ground that fried the electrics effectively, at least, of the plane and, and caused it to crash. Uh, but that was immediately afterwards when there was very little information. Um, since then, looking at the way the West has responded to it, uh, okay, that was my immediate response, but as I said, there wasn't much information. Um, reason I then considered a meteorite or a meteor uh, essentially blowing up in the sky above the plane and causing shockwaves that uh, blew the plane down was because of the anomalous way in which the plane is recorded or reported to have fallen out of the sky that it effectively could not really have a descent from an upward trajectory to a downward trajectory within one second. It's basically physically impossible for the plane to to change altitude in less than a second to the extent that it is reported to have done. Uh, the only thing that uh, made, so, made sense to me in that sense was was some external force that pushed the plane down at a significant speed. Um, but uh, since then, looking at the wreckage, um, I kind of tended toward more towards some kind of some other kind of uh, effects on the plane. Mm. There are some really weird things to pick out in the photos. Now, this is a pastime that is uh, a tricky one because people often look at photos and go, "Oh, that's what it shows," and they, that's not really what you're seeing. That. <clears throat> And so we're, you know, we're also not qualified to positively identify what is in a photo, what is not. However, we've got some idea of what crash sites look like. And one of the first things that is, is that a lot of photos are pretty, they're immediate. I mean, some of them are from the day. But they are from the same day, yeah. yeah Within yeah. a few hours of the, of the plane. Nothing. Not the, plane, the, plane was, the plane crashed about 100 kilometers, so about an hour uh, from the kind of biggest nearest emergency responders went and it certainly wouldn't have taken them much more than an hour to get there after it was reported missing. You know, planes reported missing, you do a few checks, okay, it's not actually on radar anymore. There's a problem. Let's get out to its last known position. So they would have been there fairly quickly, certainly within a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. There's no smoke. No. So if it was knocked out of the sky by some concussive force like a blast wave from a exploding space rock or something like that, um, the plane 
sky hit the ground and undoubtedly have uh, burst into flames and, to one extent or another with massive amount of, a large amount of fuel on board because the plane was only 23 minutes into a four or five hour flight. So yeah. it had uh, probably 80% of its uh, fuel still on board, largely in the wings. So, I think it's a longer, much longer flight. It's going to St. Petersburg. Yeah, it's about five hours, I think. Okay. So um, when we looked at the images of the wreckage, um, there were a lot of strange things about it. One of them being basically no images, and there are quite a few images. Uh, there are no images of the wreckage showing any sign of smoldering, smoking in any way. If you got the MH17 last year, for example, um, it was on fire. It was on. It was on fire. Uh, I think it was on fire for like the whole day, or maybe longer. Uh, but there's also no evidence of kind of uh, <clears throat> retardant foam from fire engine no. at the scene. I mean, you just saw jeeps and that kind of thing. Uh, it's almost like uh, maybe you know, by the time they t- had taken started to take pictures of it. Uh, any fire engines or fire fire department uh, vehicles that had uh, been there had a quick look around and saw there's no fire, so they, they nothing for us to do. They took off again, and what was left just was their kind of recovery or search and rescue personnel. Um, but yeah, you see people on that day, uh, rescue workers standing in in the middle of of the wreckage, uh, no smoke. No sign of fire. There isn't even really any sign of the earth having been uh, scorched. Probably about uh, thousands of yeah. thousands of gallons of uh, kerosene, effectively here. And there's no drag marks. Whether like a plane hits and then has exactly. some momentum and forward a bit, exactly. it just seems to be an imprint on the ground. Right. That's the, that's the other really strange thing. If you look at other uh, pictures of crash sites, um, planes tend to, when they hit the ground, tend to make quite a large hole, or at least dig up quite a, a large amount of dirt because they're quite heavy, um, but you don't see that in any of these uh, images. You see the plane kind of broken open broken open and mangled on the ground. Um, okay, we can say, the, the official narrative is that they're even saying that the plane broke up in midair, but if you look at one of the, one of the most interesting images, it's basically the, the kind of outline of the front section of the plane uh, back from the cockpit back to the wings, which is more or less half the plane. And it is on the ground and it's laid out as though someone kind of put it there and then kind of destroyed it somehow. It doesn't seem to be burned in, 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 in a typical sense. And we said there's no, as, as we mentioned, there's no, um, doesn't seem to be any evidence of fire. But you see this looking at it from quite a height where pictures were taken. It's just this outline of the, fu- the front fuselage from the cockpit back to the wings and the wings still attached more or less to the fuselage. So that's that half of the plane apparently was intact. If it broke up in midair, half of it was still intact. The front half of the plane, including the wings, came was down, still intact. And came, and came straight down. down. Well, it came down straight. But yeah, straight down. It doesn't come straight down if the wings are attached. You know what I mean? Yeah. It comes down either nose down or maybe it still has some kind of aerodynamic uh, capabilities with wings on it and stuff. Because the wings are very clearly still attached to the, uh, or what's left of the wings are still attached to the fuselage. Um, so the, but there's no hole in the ground where it's sitting. It's just flat on the ground and uh, just mangled, kind of broken open. 
and different pieces just scattered about. So you've got the the nose just several like just, meters up, yeah, just the cone and, of the nose, yeah. And some parts are like all that part looks charred, right? And then the other parts are just in totally not pristine condition. Well, they are. They're not melted. Well, no, they're not melted. They're just kind of mangled, but they're, there's no scorch on it. And you've got the, you look at all the luggage, it's all in right. pristine condition. Right. All the luggage yeah. seems to be. In Some parts completely fried. Others, recognizable parts, like the tail, right. which is some way away. Seats. There's a section of the carriage itself. I guess part of the front half of the plane, it starts to curve down as if towards the nose. Mm-hmm. And the nose itself. Mm-hmm. The nose has a slight dent in one side, but it's right. sitting upright and it's recognizable as the nose and mm. it's still white, but the wings are just these, uh, I can't say they're scorched because no. it's hard to say, there's no smoke, there's no... It looks more like something, I mean, there's not a lot of evidence for, you know, a lot of images you can get for this, but it looks like something, it looks like an electrical burn effect, not that it caused a fire, but that something was, had a massive amount of electricity uh, run through it that effectively just disintegrated or, or blew apart the, the, the structure. Um, it looks kind of like those cars on 9-11. Right, it looks like oh, some of the cars on 9-11. you're going yeah. there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, if you take a look at it, I mean, look at the images, look at them closely, you see, you know, obviously planes have insulation uh, closest to the exterior, to the out, outer um, skin of the plane. Uh, there's just normal, it's kind of uh, fiberglass insulation, or rock wool or whatever, whatever you call it. And there's chunks of this stuff lying in the middle of the destroyed uh, fuselage that is dark but doesn't look like it's burned. And like I said, there's no evidence of a fire having happened. So and even and even this uh, this uh, fiberglass or rock wool is is undamaged. You know, it's, it's not burnt, but it's right there in a place where you would expect or you would you're assuming that the plane burned up. And like you mentioned, the front section just behind the cockpit. I mean, there's there's quite a lot of plastic on the in, on that inside part of the of the uh, of the plane. If you ever been on a plane, you know the, uh, the there's plastic the, the kind of facade, the inner facade of the plane are all plastic, and there's no sign of uh, any melting of any of that. You know, from yeah. right, what you'd expect to be an intense heat from the yeah. fire burning large amounts of uh, <clears throat> kerosene. So it's just it's very anomalous in that sense. It, it suggests that something very, very strange happened to this plane. The other major strange aspect is there's at least one report of the youngest or one of the one of the children, a baby on the plane, 10, 10 month old, um, Darina Garanova, I think is her name. Um, and she, there's one report that she was found 34 kilometers away from that main crash site. So, Thirty. I say that again. Thirty-four kilometers away from. That's a long way away. Yeah, I mean, it's again. Is she? Is she looking the furthest thing? Yeah. In this radius. Yes. Wow. Um, her name means uh, thunderbolt gift. A, a literal Russian English translation. Yeah. Wow. Thunderbolt gift. Uh, but anyway, um. She was found. How she possibly could have got that distance away from the plane is not uh, explainable. It's technically it's impossible. It's kind of second impossible thing, really, because um, you know the plane broke up in midair, therefore it fell pretty close to the breakup point, 
within a few kilometres, let's say, a plane doesn't travel. Once it starts falling down, it doesn't travel you know, under no, no power. It doesn't start, it's not gliding, it's falling. It doesn't travel very more, much more than a few kilometres from the point where it becomes uh, non-aerodynamic uh, anymore. Um, it's, so, not, it's, it's impossible, and yet there it is. Well, it's impossible, yeah, because I mean, she, she should be up in, yeah. in, in, in a certain radius, uh, relatively a relatively small radius. But uh, and of course, you know, she's not going to be blown, you know, twenty five or thirty kilometers uh, by wind or anything like that. So um, it, it's yeah. Um, there there was an initial report from the day itself. Um, which had the pilot, the pilot's last communication with Egyptian air traffic control mm. was to complain of a malfunction in wireless devices. That's the quote. Yeah. And requesting emergency landing at the nearest airport, presumed by the media to have been Cairo to his west or Al Arish to his starboard side. Um, that's since been retracted now. The official story now is that there was no, he had normal chatter with ATC behind him in right. Sharm el-Sheikh, and that was it, silence. I mean, that's another example. Of, these are the things to look for in the immediate aftermath of these kind of events when you hear initial reports. And initial reports are always, there's no reason to disbelieve them, <clears throat> unless you're going to posit that for some reason some air traffic control person was spreading disinformation from the very beginning. But why would he spread that kind of disinformation? Now, it doesn't seem to make any sense. Yeah, he was he was talking to local Egyptian reporters. So mm -hmm. this is not your Western media. So right. it's, it's more likely to be true. Right, but I can't, I can't imagine why someone would do that, even if it was uh, spreading disinformation. It's not really very effective disinformation to uh, that kind of detail, whether he said it or didn't say it, doesn't impact on any narrative, an official narrative or otherwise. So... Um, that's a strange, uh, why that was covered up or why that was deleted from the official record, we don't know. The other thing that was deleted from the official record was very first people who got there, uh, Egyptian uh, emergency responders said that they heard voices from inside the fuselage uh, or somewhere. Uh, they said pained voices, i.e. Right. the sounds of people crying for right. help. And that's unmistakable. I mean, you're in a desert. There's nothing around you the wreckage of a plane. Apparently there's no fire. So effectively there's no noise. Mm. It's very, very quiet. If there's some human voices in the vicinity that are within earshot, you're not going to mistake them. And then voices. go and speak to a reporter. Right. Your your whole your whole system is tuned for there might be someone alive here, so your ears are tuned for anything that might sound like a human voice. Apparently someone heard something, but that was then deleted from the official record. So these are some of the factors uh, that lead us to believe that this was not a bomb. Because, well, first of all, there's no hard evidence and there won't be. Obviously there's no evidence for what we're seeing either, any evidence in, in under normal circumstances. Uh, uh, about what happened to a plane that crashed until a full investigation has been done. And that takes a few months or certainly a few weeks before anything can even be suggested to possibly happen. 
based on hard evidence. But Wait a second, Joe. I thought that a plane crash investigation took over a year. Well, they do. MH17 takes over a year, yeah. But that's only when you're fixing, fixing yeah. the data around the policy. So, um, yeah. But given that, and given that uh, this bogus theory about a bomb, ISIS bomb, uh, is being pushed uh, on everybody in the world, effectively, um, we're left with no other option but to analyze the data, the available data ourselves. And this is what the available data is saying to us, that it's something much more complex and much more bizarre than a simple bomb in the, in the luggage compartment caused this plane to crash. Um, like I said in the article I wrote, uh, to me, the, the wreckage looks like it was effectively fried in some way. Uh, it was dismembered, like the people it was kind of dismembered. That's it. Well, that's the other thing. The other thing is that uh, the state of the bodies, bodies were supposedly, were apparently, many bodies were dismembered. You can imagine whatever that means yourself. Um, the problem is that that doesn't usually happen with plane crashes like this. People don't just fly apart from uh, any kind of, I yeah. mean, it takes quite a strong impact. I mean, it's very difficult to pull, for example, not to be too gruesome, but it's very difficult to pull someone's arms and legs off. They have difficulty accounting for that. I think they were suggesting it was sheer force, which if you're coming down a high speed, maybe. And no. yet skydivers will, will no. jump out of a plane. But, Terminal velocity but, of a human being is 270 miles an hour, so that's not... So it wouldn't have. But no. even if you were to go with that, for a second, many of those bodies with missing limbs were still tra strapped, tra strapped to their seats. Right, exactly. So that's another bizarre aspect to it: how uh, these bodies ended up in this in this condition. The phantom voices reminds me of something. Mm -hmm. um, when MH370 disappeared, there were reports about people making phone calls for help. Family members back in China and elsewhere were going, I'm telling you. When which plane was it? MH370. Yeah, exactly. Um, just throwing it out there because it just reminded me of it. I, uh, what, what connection is there? I don't know. But uh, people wouldn't just make that up. You might have some hysterical people who imagine things, but a lot of family members saying, no, I'm telling you my cell phone call and I was talking to... Maybe it wasn't was it that far. I don't think people had come. No, sorry, that they their phones were still on. Yeah, yeah they could call the people inside. They were the ringing. Plane. Yeah, the phones were ringing. Right, mm -hmm. suggesting the plane was somewhere, mm -hmm. and that the phones were still operational. Yes, long after the plane yeah. disappeared, or at least hours after. Yeah. Um, it reminds me a little bit. In a certain sense, that what happened to the plane and the wreckage of the plane reminds me a little bit of what happened on 9-11 uh, to the World Trade Center towers. This glaring inconsistency with the... <laughs> just in Something happened. You don't have, yeah. yeah, you don't have to be a, an engineer to look at the collapse of the Center Towers and see the things basically turn into dust, uh, which is not the way uh, buildings collapse. Uh, collapse, they, they don't turn into dust, they don't plume up in large amounts of dust and effectively destroy the entire building. Um, of course, we've kind of speculated in the past that uh, some kind of... They also uh, don't just collapse, like planes don't just right. fall out of the sky. 
Right. But uh, to do that, some kind of, you know, some kind of exotic technology, and I use the word exotic uh, simply because, uh, or to mean that it, it's not conventional, it, it's not in the public domain, but that it exists, some kind of energy source that could effectively uh, break, almost at a molecular level, could break uh, uh, physical material apart. And specific materials. Yes. The luggage in the luggage was all collected right from this Egypt uh, right. crash in Egypt. So the other interesting thing about the crash of the Russian plane is that the Israeli military was holding its biggest ever military exercises in the Araba Desert, which is basically the south of Israel slash Palestine. Basically just across the border from where the... Right. From the Sinai there. It's, it's right across the border, continuation of the Sinai Desert effectively. Um, so the Israelis had been conducting military exercises since the 18th of October uh, through the 4th or 5th of November. Uh, well, officially concluded on the 30th, but then there was a report in Israel that they decided to extend it to, till the 3rd, so it did cover the period. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is obviously reminiscent also of 9-11 when military exercises were going on, several military exercises were going on uh, on the day of 9-11. And of course, the assumption there is that military exercises can be used as cover for other types of exercises that have very specific uh, and temporary uh, agenda or goal. In the case of 9-11, those exercises were there to cover up the situation that happened on 9-11. Uh, to the World Trade, Center, World Trade Center towers and, and the Pentagon, and in this case, um, obviously these military exercises could have been a cover for some kind of weapon being used to bring down the Russian plane. What kind of weapon that was? We mentioned exotic energy, exotic weapons. Um, yeah, I mean there there are there is a lot of uh, information out there on. Um, energy, directed energy weapons, but that usually means lasers, um, EMPs, electromagnetic pulse weapons, um, and even microwave weapons. Um, but these are all, if you look those up, you'll find that their EMPs are usually just for uh, designed to fry the electronics of, you know, in a building or in some target. And, and not affect human beings. Uh, lasers obviously are kind of self-explanatory. Um, and microwave <clears throat> microwave weapons, so far they're mainly used to, or they have been deployed as anti-personnel effectively where a certain intensity of microwaves are directed at a person and it kind of heats up your skin, creates a burning sensation in your skin, probably does actually burn you, uh, makes you run away. So they're crowd control weapons, effectively. But obviously, these are applications that are used. The, the applications that these weapons have been used for, or as they're as they've been touted as being used for, are 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 quite limited. They certainly probably don't exploit the full potential of those directed energy weapons. For example, well, to put it basically, the energy input or output could be increased to create. Uh, a much more destructive uh, effect on a, on a particular target. 
Um, Another connection with 9-11 is the hurricane. Oh, so wait, before we, get, before we get to the hurricane, because uh, Joe, you had a couple, in the article that you just put up today on SOT, um, you had a couple quotes from earlier this year on these types of weapons. And just today or yesterday, um, Ashton Carter in the States was talking about um, the, the military's new steps that it's taking to counter Russian aggression. And so he said that the United States was modernizing its nuclear arsenal, investing in new technologies such as drones and a new long-range bomber, as well as lasers, an electromagnetic railgun, and new systems for electronic warfare. The defense chief hinted at additional new weapons that would be, quote, surprising ones I really can't describe here, end quote. If, if what we're suggesting is, is true, and the Russians have... The Russian government has a good idea that's true. What Ashton Carter mm-hmm. just said to them was, no, 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 we did it. That's mm-hmm. an admission. Yeah. He chose yesterday to say it, right? Or after the crash. I don't know the exact date, but yeah, it was after, after the crash. Right, that's yeah. him gloating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, assuming, to count, to assuming, this scenario, yeah. assuming the scenarios in the ballpark. Yeah. <clears throat> and countering Russian aggression. Right. <laughs> Well, in a sense, that's true, right? I mean, well, they 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 are aggressing on American intelligence assets. Yeah, and American dominance. Dominance. Yeah. It's it's our world. Get yeah. your hands off it. He also said it. something about Russia and China having the gumption to challenge the, the world, world order. order. Saw that today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How dare he? How dare Putin do such a thing? Yeah, I mean, the world order being America reigns supreme, it's just fundamentally uh, um, unfair and unjust, uh, the, the American position. You know, just because you've managed to insinuate, insinuate yourself into a position of, of uh, you know, relative hegemony or all absolute hegemony, as you might see it, it doesn't mean that uh, no one's allowed to challenge you if they're able. You know, you're meant to... It doesn't mean you can do anything yeah. to maintain that. Including not planes out of the sky. Right. Um, yeah. The, yeah. The anomaly, the other anomalous thing was, was this cyclone. Is it related? Well, it, so first off, the first, it was the f- first ever cyclone to actually make landfall on the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, people, that's, that's unusual. At least in known history, no cyclone coming up the Indian Ocean has ever veered to the west. It's supposed to veer to the west, to the east, and into Pakistan or India. It, you may occasionally get an arm brush Oman and dump a lot of rain, but the thing actually, the eye of it went almost directly west, mm-hmm. headed for Yemen. Uh, so we've got something, we've got a natural event going on simultaneously that's doing weird things. We bring that up because there were similar on 9/11, yeah, the Hurricane Aaron. Hurricane Aaron did uh, was off the coast of, uh, basically off the coast of New York, or tracking in that direction. On 9/11, uh, when this, what we assumed to be some kind of exotic weapon, was used on the World Trade Center towers to bring them down. Uh, so there's a ta- uh, a possible uh, link there between this kind of weaponry and uh, the energy, perhaps generated by major hurricanes. Um, how that actually works, well, I'll have to get back to you on that one. But we're talking obviously about uh, 
high tech here and um, very high tech, you know, stuff that people <clears throat> would assume is would only be possible many years uh, down the line, you know. Um, so yeah, we we've gotten a lot of flack over the years for putting some incidents. I'm talking in general here, not just aircraft incidents, down to natural causes, whereas many would like us to see the hidden hand of the empire's shadow government behind all or most of these events. Um, now, we occasionally enjoy lampooning those who see harp and chemtrails behind every cloud, excuse the pun. Um, but the powers that be do have some godlike tech, and they do use it. The thing is, our general point, our baseline, if you like, is that as much as they do stuff, it's all happening within a system that is far bigger than us and is, produces far more things and has far more energy available to it than the powers that be could ever manipulate and control. Where it gets really mind-melding is that both they and nature can do things that produce practically indistinguishable results. Mm -hmm. So in this scenario here where it looks like a plane's been fried by some kind of EMP weapon, or not looks like, say that's one possibility, that still doesn't disclude the fact that nature can do that and better. If you have an EMP resulting from a meteor explosion in the vicinity and the shockwave, it can produce the same results. Um, it can produce anomalous effects on specific materials. Mm -hmm. It can... Um, studies of the Tunguska event back in 1908 showed that there were changes in the genetic profile of flora, fauna, and people who were under the track of the object as it came in and not just in the vicinity of where it exploded. There are probably also space-time distortions caused by meteors and, and other natural events, not just this. Yeah. Um, tornadoes. Tornadoes. Think of a tornado when it sticks a chair up a wall inside of it and the chair's intact and the wall's intact too. It's, the two have been put together somehow. Mm -hmm. This happens... All the time, these kinds of bizarre things. Well, when I try to put myself in the mind of a, a good old American weapons manufacturer or intelligence guy, you know, the first thing that they come up with is, well, how can I weaponize this? Mm -hmm. So just think about some of the weird stuff that goes on on the planet now, uh, and just what in a broad category can be called natural phenomena. Now, by natural, I'm including some things that can probably be called supernatural by most, but I call it natural because it seems like it's a natural part of the, the universe we live in. So we've got precedents for this that have become public, like the the Army's remote viewing program and things like that, where they take a phenomenon that does exist, that is real, you know, despite what the skeptics say, and they try to weaponize it. Well, how can we use this for intelligence and operations? Now, if you just look at tornadoes, you know, the weird stuff associated with tornadoes, even a lot of the weird things also that's in like the psi phenomena, 
you've got to think that there's someone in these command structures that thinks, well, how can we weaponize this? Mm -hmm. Now, so the question is just, well, have they figured it out? Have they been able to weaponize these things? And what would that look like if they were able to do so? Now, if you think about a tornado somehow seemingly changing the properties of the matter of the objects involved to the point where they confuse together in such strange configurations, well, how might that look might look exactly the same. You might have some some really weird things going on that would just look like weird natural events. There's those weird anomalies that people can't and they say, oh well, you know, that's kind of weird, but we can't explain it. And you know, it was just a tornado, so we'll, you know, we'll just forget about it because it's just one of those weird things that you can't explain. Mm -hmm. And you actually, Joe, you wrote about some of the weird things in was it Sicily, mm -hmm. where some weird stuff was happening. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Give some examples. Yeah, that was in 2004 in a place, a little village of 50 people called Caneto in Sicily in Italy. Um, basically, it, what most of what came into the Western press was that the spontaneous fires were erupting in the village in people's homes. Um, washing machines were spontaneously burning. Um, uh, eventually, they reported also that uh, water pipes were burning anything kind of electrical was uh, uh, was was prone bursting into flames, but um, there were other aspects as well. Uh, well, just on the burning, didn't didn't they decide to cut the power? They did cut the power and they kept burning. Yeah, uh, even the point of uh, electrical wires that they had actually cut in half were still uh, kind of sparking and burning without with with uh, power. Completely. To the entire village. So, um, what else was um, one guy? Uh, this is just a report from uh, an Italian newspaper, uh, Corriere della Sera, um, said that uh, his windshield was pierced by something, and he described it as a uh, pierced and shattered by something that he described as an invisible drill bit. I think it must mean that it's something made a hole in his windscreen but there was nothing to be found. Um, or that he could see the hole forming. Maybe. It's, but it's he not, couldn't see what was causing it. Yeah. Um, other the very strange things included plants, a certain type of plant in the area being uh, burned, but only that plant uh, burned right down to its roots into the ground. So its root system in the ground was uh, kind of carbonized as well. So you've got a picture of that where there's just this bush in the middle of all the other bushes, and just that bush is fried. Right. <laughs> and nothing else around nothing it. Nothing else. Um, <clears throat> but not only that type of plant elsewhere in the village mm -hmm. is also fried. Yeah. It's species-specific. <laughs> That's bizarre. Species-specific, yeah. Um other thing, I mean, people's um, fire alarms were going off uh, on their own. Um, electric gates were opening and closing uh, by themselves. Compasses were completely useless. They would just give, you know, kind of went haywire. People's USB keys were instantly wiped of all of the information that had been effectively demagnetized. <clears throat> um, there was a Italian civil um civil air defense or um yeah civil defense forces and a helicopter of the of the civil defense forces was in the area and it was there's a picture it was seen chased by uh, uh something similar to a ufo 
and the rubber blades on the, the helicopter was forced down for reason. It had a malfunction and it was forced down and the rubber blades were uh, found to have been damaged. They had been kind of burst open in certain sections of rubber blades and they described that as uh, something had, this unknown, unknown object had changed the electrical conductivity within the blades. That was the official uh, conclusion. Like the flow is reversed or something. Who knows? Um, there was also, um, I mean, there was there were obviously a lot of reports into what was going on because it lasted for at least two weeks and possibly longer. Um, there was a confidential file, according to this newspaper, that was sent to the Civil Defence and the Office of the Prime Minister. And the conclusion was that advanced, uh, sorry, that uh, <clears throat> their hypothesis was that the secret military tests were to blame. Um, and before they could announce it, <clears throat> the findings of the report, it was preemptively leaked and spun across the Western media as Italian government says aliens did it. <laughs> yeah. So somebody was blowing smoke. Well, it wasn't just that. It was the local people who were suggesting that, uh, well, part of that was also that, I mean, local people had been suggesting that, obviously coming up with all sorts of uh, explanations to try and understand what was happening they decided for a while that it was uh, demons and they called the priest in other people were saying aliens but the alien thing seems to have been um, a reasonable enough conclusion mm-hmm. because there were UFOs seen in, on several occasions in the area um, and I think that I mean if, even if that was part of the official report that's reasonable enough you know because um, <clears throat> they, did, they didn't say, but they said some un, a source, some unknown source. Yeah. With, uh, in some way, using an enormous amount of EM energy, electromagnetic mm-hmm. energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that was that was something that was. It's interesting that if you consider all of those effects, which would suggest some kind of. Um, some kind of electromagnetic energy being beamed from our village. Um, and this confidential report saying that it was secret military tests, when you put those two things together and you, you know, you're able to advance the hypothesis or so the theory that um, some aspect of the military or the military-industrial complex, whatever that is on this planet, uh, has this advanced technology and has been testing it at, at, at different times in the last maybe 10 or 20 years um, to get, you know, train people up on it so they figure out how, how, how it works and the effects that it has. And um, it's now, at least certainly at this point, is is part of their um, arsenal. Yeah, part of arsenal of weapons that they can use. And of course, it's, you know, it's a top secret. It's a very, it's a very useful weapon in the sense that it's practically untraceable. Exactly. No one's going to. And you're talking about something that, as far as conventional science is concerned, doesn't exist and won't be possible for many years in the future. And you have it, and you're able to use it. Well, it's effectively, uh, it's anonymity uh, for uh, for your use of it. I mean, and also forever being exposed that that either you did it or who you are first that you did it and that you have this kind of technology. So you can imagine it's very useful. But what what what, what makes me what, what makes me wonder, or what I'm wondering right now, is uh, is what the Russian response, assuming this is correct, what the Russian response to this um, event 
And if they understand it, which I assume they do understand it for what it is, which which is a counterattack <clears throat> to what they did in Syria. Right, exactly. A kind of fourth generational uh, attack where, I mean, fourth generational war is the war that, uh, in, after the Cold War, basically, where third generational war was more or less conventional war, fourth generational war is the gloves are off. We can do whatever we want. We basically carry terrorist attacks against you, you know, use economic um and political propaganda Sanctions, whatever anything information uh, yeah i mean the idea was listen this kind of based given that the idea of look we'll put our army here you put yours there and see if they didn't see them duke it out right those that's, days are that's gone no, that's not good anymore especially in light of um nuclear capability and nuclear capability has tended to kind of take certainly for, uh, for amongst the nuclear powers take the uh, the possibility of any conventional war off the table. So you have to go for unconventional war, um, which is this fourth generation war, which is attack your enemy in multiple different ways, political, you know, social, uh, economic, economic, hitting uh, your uh, your enemy's uh, civilian population, you know, even committing genocide against them if it serves your purpose, if, if, if it serves your, your goal of, of winning, quote unquote. Yeah, which is why the US announced it would strike out for full spectrum dominance in the nineties. Yeah. Russia is weak at this point. <clears throat> Russia and or the East Soviet system. Let's go. Let's go for it. Full spectrum. Yeah. Everything. We want it all. So the question here is, I mean, I assuming this is true and we've no reason to you know, every reason to think of this kind of technology does exist. Uh you assume that Russia with its long tradition of investigation into um electronic warfare, let's say, or directed energy weapons. But Russia has is well aware of this technology and even has the same capability itself. Uh so let's assume that Russia does know what happened to the flight over Egypt and more or less who was responsible or certainly they got the message that it was from that particular quarter, i.e. those behind the American Empire. Uh What's the response? You know, obviously, it's unlikely that they're <clears throat> going to expose it all in a report. Say, yeah, it was this directed energy weapon that uh, the Mossad has, <clears throat> and they did it because we were pissing them off in Syria. No. That's unlikely to form part of the of the final report. <clears throat> so, uh, what do they do? I mean, I, I'd assume based on the way Putin and Russia have. Uh, acted so far that they would respond, in, if possible, uh, they would respond in some kind of non-linear way or, or oblique way. You know, you don't, you don't. Russia doesn't have a tendency, or doesn't have a history, certainly under Putin, of fighting fire with fire, responding directly to those kind of attacks. You know, they always look for a kind of more, um, yeah, non-linear or oblique way of of responding and, and furthering their own agenda. But this is certainly, you can imagine that this is certainly being felt. Quite uh, as, as pretty serious uh, blow to the Russians, in ter- not just in terms of the shooting down of the plane and the killing of those 224 people, but also the threat that it could happen again, that could be used again, or you know. Um, well, if you look at the immediate response so far, um, in terms of the investigation, they're taking the same line that they took after MH17 was, let's wait until we do an investigation before we say anything. Right. Well, that, now, that's a that's a rational yeah. response, but it's also buying them time. Yeah. To think, to think about what they can do. Mm-hmm. We've also um, 
stopped flights from that airport and they've worked, I think they're working on getting all of the Russians in Egypt out, um, out of Egypt. So they're taking this, well, from that response, it looks like they're taking this as some kind of threat that uh, yeah. they're taking preventative measures for. Although, yeah, possibly. Although certainly, you, if, you, if you consider the Russian position, uh, they were given a problem yeah. with, it, with this shoot-down. Um, and in terms of how they're going to respond to it, if they, they don't want to go with the narrative that's being pushed by the Brits and the Americans, that it was a bomb and ISIS did it, because mm-hmm. that, that problem could go down very well at home. Mm-hmm. So they don't embrace that. They dismiss that and say, listen, let's follow the procedure and find out. Let's not speculate. Let's have the investigation and then we'll find out. <clears throat> but in terms of removing uh, people from Egypt, it, it seems that that is something they would be expected to do as well yep. by the Russian people. Yep. Because the Russian people are being are left actively with no answers. On the one hand, they're getting Western propaganda that it was a bomb, it was ISIS. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, they're getting really nothing from the Russian government. The Russian government saying, no, it wasn't a bomb, or we don't know, let's not. But in the meantime, then what do you yep. do? Well, yep. if there's any possibility that it was a bomb by ISIS, let's say, the Russian government would be, would be expected to protect the interests of um, Russian people in Egypt, yeah, exactly. and even more so because the Brits, <clears throat> the cynical, disingenuous Brits, ramped up that oh, we're going to get all, we're going to protect all our, uh, um, all our uber special they citizens. So cynical out of Egypt. So it was the British who who began with the right, no more flights to Sharm el Sheikh. Uh, get all of our passengers. Of course, they completely botched it and left loaded them stranded there right, for days. Right. But they made some forced, effort anyway. That forced the Russians' hand yeah. to kind of uh, respond to do as they've done. Right. This is the same British government that wouldn't send a single plane, except fighter jets, to Yemen to take out yeah. America, thousands or hundreds anyway of citizens in Yemen when the Saudis started bombing the crap out of it, who were saved by the Russians who took them out. Ah, yeah. oh. well. My my guess for for what's going to happen with this uh, investigation, who knows if it will or not, but if the Russians kind of live up to their um, their image that they've presented as wanting the truth and wanting to tell the truth, is that they'll be as well they'll do that as close as possible. So in this investigation, maybe they will say, well, first of all, if there's no evidence found of a bomb, they'll say that. If there is something weird, they'll say, oh, well, you know, some kind of electrical anomaly happened and then this happened and somehow we like the, the engine exploded, but we have no we have no idea right. how that happened. So they'll just say we don't know. This is what happened, but we right. But we don't know because right. it's they could, weird. They could describe what happened, yeah. but say they don't know how it, it, how it happened yeah. or what caused it. Uh, and that would be, yeah, that might be enough. And that would certainly be, that would, it's to be hoped that they would do that because it would Obviously, it would satisfy us to a certain extent, but it would also, uh, and it would be a, a partial, at least, exposure kind of thing can happen, you know, um, without saying what it is, without giving exact details yeah. and stuff, to at least introduce the concept in the public mind that planes... And that awareness of it might help them. Right. Protect them. Right. And at that point, speculation would be in Russia's favor. Yeah. At that point, you'd expect Russia to be promoting people are, are, are encouraging people to speculate on what this might have been because there should be enough people out there if they describe what happened to the plane without saying what caused it, 
there might be enough people who would put together details and say, well, what are you saying here? Some kind of some kind of high energy weapon? And Russia would go, well, maybe, I don't know, if you think so. <laughs> but, yeah, well, the, the, their pattern thus far, I mean, they just don't lie. They leave things out, of course. Um, they're, they're clever. They're cunning. But they just don't come up with bullshit. So I can't imagine making an exception for this. But as for a direct response, thinking that it will be, the response will be on the level of... I want to see Russian warships land in Sinai. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. kind of like the um, Ash Carter's statement here about the the exotic technology and the weapons. Like it's, on the surface, he's just saying, well, this is what we're doing to respond to Russian aggression. But at the same time, if this scenario is what actually happened, it's a pretty nasty-looking yeah. thing that he's doing. Now, if the if the Russians respond, I think it'll be this kind of asymmetric response in the sense mm. that they will respond to an actual attack on them, but it won't be direct um, a direct attack in the sense that you'll be able to see, oh, well, this is a direct response to that. Who knows? It might be something like you're saying, um, increasing what's currently going on, like inc- uh, maybe upping the, the military situation in Syria or doing something along that. Besides Syria, remember, that's only recent. Mm-hmm. This, this is a fly on an elephant in terms of the constant steady beat that the world as a whole, as a whole is, is shifting away from the hegemonic system. Trade in non-U.S. Dollars, dollar currency denominations continues to increase. This hasn't put a dent in that. Trade deals in these continue to increase. It's just going like a constant steady beat. Yeah. I think if you ask a Chinese diplomat his opinion on what just happened, he would say what he said about Ukraine. And remember, there's a civil war situation there. He'd say it's all sound and fury. Yeah, it's the last yeah. desperate. It doesn't change a thing. We're the banker of the world to be. In other words, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. And it'll aggravate them and they'll do more of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they'll make mistakes more often. Mm-hmm. There'll be glitches in these events that will be leaving people in no doubt. Or maybe not no doubt, but at least enough of a glitch to make them not believe the story that's then presented. Because even in the situation as it is, there have got to be a lot of Westerners, at least those who have spent the last month going, go Putin. Well, yeah, get ISIS. That's, that's, that's definitely a good thing. Who then saw this and went, but hang on a second. You know, uh, if this is Putin's fault for going in and getting ISIS. This is, to quote the Guardian, Putin's military adventurism in Syria is a fruit for down in the plane, the Russian plane, mm-hmm. over the Sinai. People just aren't going to f- jive so much. Those people who spent the last month going, go Putin, are not going to jive with the spirit of that message. Mm-hmm. As plausible as it might sound on the surface. Well, you can see the narrative kind of being formed in relation to this whole ISIS thing and Russia's image and... And the way those two things are tied together, there's this article written by John Bradley. He contributes to The Economist, The Forward, Newsweek, New Republic, Daily Telegraph. No relation. Prospect, (laughs) The Independent. So he wrote this article uh, just a day or two ago 
called, uh, well, the headline in The Spectator is, The Russian Plane Crash Could Undermine Putin's Serious Strategy. Mm-hmm. So in it, he writes, um, it would be most unwelcome news, it would be the most unwelcome news possible for, for Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin, who sold military intervention in Syria to the Russian people as a way of making them safer of Russian intervention, the U.S., Turkey, and the Gulf Arab despots, would be privately elated. Right. For this would not prove their ar- for does this not prove their argument that Russian intervention only complicates the situation on the ground while increasing the threat of terror attacks? Of course. <laughs> That's exactly. And, and what do we see as a result of, of this plane crash was that the Brits and the Americans immediately started pushing the bomb theory that ISIS did it. Therefore, this was blowback for Russian intervention in Syria. It was had it just it had just killed 224 Russians, i.e. Putin just killed 224 Russians by his actions in Syria. I mean, that is clearly what they're pushing and that's what they want to do. And they jumped on that immediately. And it's completely disingenuous. And in the context, the geopolitical context, you have to immediately see that for what it is, which is complete and utter horseshit. And just dismiss these people, you know, dismiss that allegation. It's like, it's like somebody immediately capitalizing on your a weakness that they see in you to, to immediately start calling you all sorts of names that are not true whatsoever. It's exactly what the, the Americans and the British are doing, so it should be ignored. But anyway, we have a call from Brent in Pennsylvania. Hi, hey Brent. Guys, uh, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thanks. Um, I was thinking, uh, I don't know if you guys, I didn't even hear you mention it, but um, there was a, the founder of RT was found dead. I think he was 57, died of a heart attack in a D.C. hotel not too long ago. And I mm-hmm. thought, given the timing, it just seemed kind of suspicious, to say the least. I mean, I kind of kind of feel like if they want to cause a heart attack in somebody, they can do it. And, right. uh, yeah. and the, the, the timing was interesting, you know? That was just a couple so, of days ago, right? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I saw it. The link was up on, uh, on SOP not too long ago. And it's, it's kind of weird. And then um, the other thing I was thinking about was that they, uh, you know, if, if they, you know, like the, the Western powers that be were involved in bringing down um, MA-17 last year, you know, they, it seemed like they used probably conventional weapons to do that, like a Ukrainian jet or, or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, but maybe they learned their lesson. You know, there's too many fingers being pointed now, and they, they decided to pull a satellite out or some other sort of high-tech gizmo in order to send a message this time, it wasn't as easily traceable. Yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it seems to be, certainly seems to be a ramping up of the, of the pressure on, on Russia, you know, from going from demonizing Russia, making Russia, uh, or unfairly accusing Russia of effectively shooting down a plane load of people over Ukraine last year to shooting down a plane load of Russian people over Egypt. Yeah, it's it's very it's very it's very strange. And then I also read recently that um, they're sending like a bunch of these. I think they're called F-15Cs. They're air-to-air uh, air-to-air combat jets to escort yeah. the bombers that are supposedly bombing ISIS. But the only mm-hmm. you know real reason they would send air-to-air you know weapons over there would be to, to you know potentially threaten the Russians. So they're the only one with jets in the air. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Good point. Very, very interesting, very sketchy. But, um, yeah, that was, that was all my points. I just wanted to bring them up say hi. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks so much for calling, Brent. Yeah, no problem. Well, you know th- Thanks, Brent. Take it easy. Bye. Yeah, take care. You know, that, that is kind of weird that, the, that this guy had this heart attack in D.C. This comes 
what a week after who was it was one of the one of the people in the American administration was it Clinton who said something about um, RT and basically wanting to to take out RT right who was that do you remember who that was Joe uh, was <clears throat> Newland or Kerry or Clinton some one of them senator or someone like that yeah who was railing against RT and how you know America has had to stop this uh, vicious propaganda anti-American propaganda. Uh, promoting the the Putin dictatorship, blah 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 blah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting. As Brent just said, it's interesting that this guy was um, died. Of course, people die for uh, natural causes, but happening just a few days after the Russian plane mm-hmm. gets shot down over over Egypt, it's another little addendum to the message. Oh, P.S. We don't like RT either. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of sneaky it, to follow the pattern that, that Brent was suggesting there. So they use an, an explicit weapon to shoot down something a plane in Ukraine. I, it was obviously brought down by something, by a weapon. Everyone yeah. saw that in the beginning. Blamed it on Russia. Whereas here they've gone, let's say in our scenario, they've gone dark. So it's untraceable in many respects to take down a Russian plane with mm-hmm. Russian citizens. Uh, and of course, they won't just take out someone close to the Kremlin. If this is what happened to him, it would happen in a way that mm-hmm. is also untraceable. Yeah. But the message to those in the know on the other side, it would be an, an unmistakable message. Right. Uh, he died of a heart attack, right? Mm-hmm. This Aussie guy. Well, I mean, there's a story in Viktor Ostrovsky's book, By Way of Deception. Ostrovsky was a Mossad agent back in the 70s, late 70s or 80s. And he wrote a kind of tell-all book. Well, he told some of it. And one of the stories is about the way the Mossad, uh, the Israeli Mossad, um, is able to induce heart attacks um, and make it look like it was a heart attack with no marks in the body, etc., etc. I could go into the details, but you probably don't want to know. No. Okay. The details. <laughs> you said no. <laughs> well, what they do is they break into your hotel, they find you in your hotel room, break into a hotel, run a bath uh, full of cold water, and put ice cubes in it so you get really ice cold water in the bathtub and fill it up. And then, you know, there's a couple of people. Um, they give you a quick injection, a sedative or something, uh, to knock you out. And then they uh, use a, in this case, uh, I can't remember what the actual pill is, but it's uh, uh, apply as a suppository um, that uh, gives you a fever, basically pushes your uh, temperature dangerously high, and then they drop you in a cold uh, a bathtub of cold water, freezing cold water, which is uh, very likely to cause a heart attack. And this was a method being described from the 1980s? Right. Right. Okay. Of course, you know, the, the Church Committee on Assassinations back in 1973 uh, had this kind of dark gun. It's on video on YouTube. You want to look at it. They have a dark gun that basically um, can, it's, it's an untraceable poison effectively uh, that kills you. It induces, I don't know exactly how it kills you, but it kills you via quote-unquote natural causes and the dart itself dissolves into nothing and the poison that's used um, is no longer traceable afterwards. So this is kind of a fairly 
This is spook strategy, spook uh, 101, spook methods 101 here. We're not talking about anything very uh, covert, really. Very risky for him to go to Washington. Oh, well. To Putin? No, this guy, Mikhail Lezin. Well, well, but they're, yeah. But RT has a big presence in the U.S. And, you know, yeah, I mean, maybe it's all kind of, it's getting very dicey at the minute. You know, I mean, obviously this event over Egypt is going to really, the Russians, I'm sure, have been talking almost nonstop about 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 it and what to do about it and what it means and how they should respond to it and uh, but they don't seem to have backed off on their their Syria campaign I mean I think the best response to that kind of threat that sneaky cowardly fundamentally evil uh, threat that they that they issued to Russia by by killing 224 innocent people to be responded to by Ideally, by Russia with an upping of their mm-hmm. of their campaign in Syria to, uh, uh, to I think extent, take the gloves off yeah. and actively try and target any CIA agents yeah. uh, or whoever else. They're fair game in in the context. Well, there's there's been a few interesting revelations. They're not they're not quite revelations, but the Russians have come out and said things that people have pretty much known about for the past month, just in the recent in the recent week. Um, so first of all, they came out saying that air defense units were deployed in Syria. So they didn't say when exactly they were deployed, but um, you know, you can guess probably the same time that everything else was deployed. And so they're just now making that public. Um, but there's also these kind of shady rumors and reports coming out that the the Russians have also sent electronic warfare units and even Spetsnaz um, units into into Syria. Now this all makes sense. To, uh, these we like advisors are doing recon missions or something like that. I mean, it's uh, you'd expect that sort of thing for the type of missions that they're doing and the assistance they're giving the Syrian army. Um, they also came out about the, the Turkish border violation, saying that uh, the reason for that that jet flying over Turkish borders was that it had um, its systems had a an air defense or surface to air like radar or something. They 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 latched onto this system that was targeting the plane, and so he took evasive maneuvers, um, at which point he crossed over into Turkey. So they've come out with that now. Um, so it seems like there is well first of all there's just a lot going on in Syria the their Russians presence there if anything will just increase and i don't think they're going anywhere they're not going to be it, it is scheduled to increase they just yeah. last week they just increased um two or three fold the number of airstrikes uh, or sites targeted yeah sites targeted cuz got the same number of planes and they can only do so many missions but on those sorties they can target multiple targets yeah i i think they've more or less said after the first week that they plan to increase yeah. this by month yeah. so we can expect more russian planes coming yeah. in other words this is part of the same drumbeat that goes on in the background it doesn't it doesn't matter what takes over the headlines mm-hmm. in this asymmetric bs the russian slash chinese are doing their thing and you can't stop them. The only thing you can do 
project or maintain the illusion that it's not happening. Yeah, until until some point in the future, yeah. Um, we have a caller. Uh, it's actually Stephen from Tampa. Hi, Stephen. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, this is Stephen from Tampa. And um, I wanted to mention a couple of things that I've come up in with uh, in some of my research. And, uh, you know, I work physically very hard, so uh, I don't have a lot of time to do a lot of research on the Internet. But uh, a good source for information that I've found is, uh, is a gentleman named uh, Ziad. Um Badel, Badel, and he's out of uh, Dearborn, Michigan, and um, he has a website, and um, I forget the name of it right now, but he has a, he has, um, you know, hour by hour information on the battles that are going on within Syria, and um, he's been on the, he's been on this issue for years, and um, and he is very competent, and uh, so anyway, I wanted to point that up, but on my other. Uh, field of inquiry having to do with uh, Jeremy Scahill and the uh, the attack on uh, Mother Mother Agnes, um, I found this organization called Pulse Media, and uh-huh. uh, I wanted to get I wanted to get you guys feedback because when I when I go onto Google and I put in Pulse Media um, and I put in like say propaganda or something like that, what I get is um, pages that link to uh, Pulse Media. So I'm not getting right. pages. I'm not getting pages in the first three Google pages that have to do with people's critique of Pulse Media. And I tried to find out the uh, funding of this group, Pulse Media. Um, I didn't have a lot of time today. I'm, I'm on the highway now, but. Um, I'm having a lot of problems even finding just cursory, rudimentary information about this group, Pulse Media. Now, um, and uh, so I just find it I just find it interesting how when you do some Google searches um, and you put the parentheses, you know, it, some, sometimes it comes up with with no results at all. So um, I just find it fairly sketchy. But um, the organization Pulse Media was the organization, uh, an individual that works for this organization. Um, I forget his name. He's, he's on the, he's listed as a personality on there. There's three people that are major, but he is one that alerted Jeremy Scahill, like, Hey, don't let mother Agnes speak and so forth. And, um, so Who's I just thought that... go ahead. I'm sorry. Who Who is mother Agnes? Oh, Mother Agnes was the uh, the woman. She's based out of Syria, and she was she was doing a campaign to uh, to sh- to present information that it was not the Syrian government that did the sarin nerve gas attacks. Right. Okay. Yes. Okay. And uh, and there's this there's a uh, there's personalities. Uh, she was to speak at a stop the war. Um. Uh. You know, uh, event in London where she was was to present this information, but Jeremy Scahill um, and um, and other people went into high overdrive to uh, stop her from being able to speak and present her information at the Stop the War meeting in London, and this was a few. This was right during the uh, the ramp up for the uh, attacks on Syria. Few years ago, mm-hmm. 
And uh, but Jeremy Scahill, like in others, like just rallied around, and um, and eventually Mother Agnes, uh, you know, basically said that hey, you know, just for 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 unity and peace sake, I I uh, I am rescinding my uh, you know my acceptance of this invitation to speak at this event. And mm-hmm. um, and anyway, this Pulse Media Group. An individual there, um, and I'm sorry, I'm on the highway. I, I, did, I didn't write it down, but he was instrumental in communicating with Jeremy Scahill, and Jeremy Scahill went into high overdrive to stop Mother Agnes from presenting this information. Right. Which, um, which I, I just think that I'm doing research on this, and basically Scahill, in my opinion, is a very sketchy individual. But I don't right. want to. Uh, I, I I don't want to present you know allegations. Uh, you know I will present information that would would uh, promulgate suspicion on the on behalf of the readers, but I'm not going to make any accus- accusations because you know. Um, but but what I what I'm just pointing up with this article is that we are all in an information war, and um, on this issue of Syria. Um, I've been really surprised on on how difficult it is to uh, just do research via the Internet and find uh, cogent websites and information that bear on this topic. And um, I think it's it's pretty uh, pretty interesting. But um, Mm -hmm. a couple comments about this, uh, what you guys are talking about today, about the downing of this uh, this Russian airliner Mm -hmm. over Sinai. Yeah, Um, sure. I was... Yeah, I, w- I would say this, um, and I don't think this really departs from what y'all have, you know, presented, uh, you know, in your program today. But okay, let's say this: um, there's always the ability that it was a, a, an act of nature, a, a malfunction, and all that, and and events that, you know, would compel you to think there's a connection to something else, you know, nefarious, or some kind of plot. Yes, there are instances of. Uh, acts of, uh, you know, quote-unquote nature or malfunctions um, that occur even in situations that are fraught where emotions and suspicions are heightened. So that's that's number one. The second thing is, okay, let's say it was, um, which is my suspicion actually, it was the United States and its partners that did this, um, you know, that basically did this, and it's a communication to it can be deemed a communication to Russia, and it can also um, – it's also like what are the pragmatic uh, reasons for doing this? And number one, in my opinion, would be to provoke a response on the part of Russia. Russia, they lose their footing, and instead of like directing the narrative and being somewhat in control of how this unfolds, they're in a reaction mode. So in other words, they would say things or do things that would actually work at cross purposes of their larger long-term goals. So I think that that, um, you could say it's a communication to, to Russia and Putin, and then also at the same time, not mutually exclusive to the first point, is the uh, idea that you want to put Russia and Putin, you want to put them, you want to get them off guard in a situation where they're not acting uh, logically, they're not mm-hmm. thinking three. They're not th- thinking three or four steps ahead, 
and they come out making accusations against the United States or whatever. But I did find it very, very uh, interesting, some of the comments uh, on the part of Western propaganda media, corporate media, that was um, all of a sudden, you know, the British and the uh, U.S. intelligence services know it was a bomb by ISIL, you know. And before Russia even comes out and shares what its information is, you know, they're already coming out and saying that. And um, I don't, I don't want to say that that points to anything necessarily, but there's definitely an information and propaganda war that is central to the goals of the United States and um, its Saudi uh, allies, and, and, and it has to do with the hegemony over the region. And, and, and mm-hmm. there's definitely this information war. We are all, we are, we, we are all in the information war. And, um, so being uh, being skeptical um, consumers, for lack of a better term, of the news and information coming from these disparate and very very different uh, sources, um, you know, what I find um, you know what I find difficult at this particular moment is, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna just this is gonna be my last point. And I'm gonna hang up. But what I find difficult at this moment as I'm doing more research is that. You know, I was uh, I was a, a man a man of the left, quote unquote, and I, I put a lot of stock in these progressive outlets and these personalities like Democracy Now, Amy Goodman, and what I'm as I've been doing research into the, what led up to the the, the lies that they uh, helped promulgate, having to do with Libya NATO invasion. You know, we're I'm at a moment where there's just very few sources or authorities that I can refer to that I can feel like I have faith in as far as uh, the information that is presented. That's that's not to say that they're, they are not out there and I have not found them. I have, but these are not the, these, the, uh, the progressive left are not the, uh, the group of uh, luminaries and thinkers that I am uh, finding, um, you know, efficacious and, and authoritative and reliable you know, as 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 to, as per this particular uh, geopolitical uh, drama with Syria, so I just find mm-hmm. that very interesting. But anyway, let me hang up and I enjoy listening to all the rest of the show. Yeah, go ahead. Hey, Stephen, I just want to ask you what uh, what was the name of that person you uh, said at the beginning in uh, Dearborn, Michigan? Uh, it's um. Hold on a second. Let me see if I can get. I'm on the highway, so this guy's name is. Um, Zahid, did you say? Uh, hold on, hold on just a second. Um, <laughs> Ziad, it's, it's Ziad, Z-I-A-D, and the last name is Fadel, F-A-D-E-L. Okay, that's good enough. Yeah, he's, I can uh, find him from there. He's pretty, he's, pretty, uh, he's pretty cogent. His information and his analysis is pretty cogent, and um, I find it very valuable. He's got... He's got uh, archives going back uh, since this whole thing uh, started developing in 2011. Anyway, hey, thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Steve. All right. Thanks drive safely. Yeah. I hope okay, to thanks. God he was using a hands-free set. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> uh, well, to answer one of the comments you made, it's a good thing, Stephen, you're losing faith in your authorities because that's 
one of the key things. Yeah, and there are no authorities that anybody can Eventually, you will come to have faith in your own authority. In the context of having faith in people you can't trust who are also of their own authority. So, mm. um, combined authority, yep. Yeah. Well, we're kind of uh, running, uh, almost getting to, to the top of the hour here, and uh, we um, are. We often do going to change the script a little bit here as we wind down and go for a pop culture roundup. Yeah. From you know who? Let's see if he's got anything to say about the rushed plane and you know exotic weapons. You never know. Take yeah. it away, relic. So here's relic. Once again, everyone, uh, it's your old friend Relic here. Uh, I'm still camped out in my cozy one-room birch bark line log cabin on the snowflake-packed shores of Upper Lake Canada, where the skies are so dark and clear and the Milky Way is so thick. Sometimes it looks positively creamy. In fact, just last week I was sitting out on the porch looking up at the stars when I I saw a bright red flaming meteorite blaze across the skies. Upon closer inspection, however, I I realized it was... It was actually Caitlyn Jenner riding on the back of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Flaming indeed. For all I know, they were probably on their way to some fancy Hollywood cross-dressing bestiality party with Prime Minister David Cameron as the guest of honor. You darn tootin'. And speaking of Hollyweird, it's time again for another oratundiloquent edition of Pop Culture Roundup, where we'll sneak into one of those highfalutin top-secret Tinseltown casinos and watch the overprivileged rich and famous celebrities gather to double down and place huge bets on who will wear the best wardrobe during this year's Academy Awards red carpet. And like the one-armed bandits of yore, this intrepid reporter, with microphone in hand, will bravely call the all-in bluffs of those Beverly Hills lords and ladies. And in the end, with a little luck on my side, I'll show them who really has the nuts. Shazam! So, let's see what the Celebrity Electronic Ultranet has in store for us this week. In our first story, Sweeney Todd, cannibalistic killer actor, Mr. Johnny Depp, gave an interview with the BBC recently where he admitted that 
Well, he just doesn't care if he ever wins an Oscar for Best Actor. And that just being nominated is enough for him. The Rango actor joins a long list of other people who don't really care at all whether he wins an Oscar or not, including me, all my neighbors, everybody I've ever known, and everyone else on the whole friggin' planet. You got that right. Meanwhile, Johnny Pirate now spends most of his free time these days dodging the Australian health authorities, who apparently are seeking to euthanize him for bringing his dogs into the country without a permit. Fortunately for the Mad Hatter, he let his latest wife, a Miss Amber Heard, take the fall for this particular crime, and she is now facing a ten-year prison sentence. You know, I never realized, being that Johnny Jack Sparrow is only five feet seven inches tall, and that his new bride is young and blonde and flawlessly beautiful, it kind of gives a whole new meaning to that Australian phrase, shrimp on the barbie. Aww. Here's Johnny. Moving on now, the new Muppet Show is causing some controversy lately over its move from family, kid-friendly, light entertainment to raunchy adult fare that includes references to, to sex and, and drugs and bestiality. There's news of Kermit dumping Miss Piggy for a younger, sexier girlfriend named Denise. And that causes Miss Piggy to consider getting a bikini wax to get rid of her non-existent puppet pubic hair. And, and then there's Fozzie the Bear, who visits websites like Grinder, the gay sex hookup app and is currently dating a human female who's worried that their animal-human hybrid children will want to poop in the woods. And even the kids' show Sesame Street got into the action where the is-he-or-is-he-not-gay Muppet character Bert reads from a book called Fifty Shades of Oatmeal. True story. I guess it makes sense in a weird kind of way, I suppose. Because in these final days, witnessing the ultimate decline of that festering dung heap that is called the 21st century America, it's not surprising to me that television networks would use their ubiquitous vampiric influence to deliberately warp the minds of its nation's youngest and most vulnerable citizens by shamelessly adulterating once-cherished institutions like the Muppets, who are known for their light-hearted, innocent, old-school comedy sketches, and turning it all into some depraved triple-X adult entertainment. Waka waka! A sign of the times, indeed.
And it's a little known fact, however, that if this experiment in child degradation programming proves successful, TV network executives are planning to adultify several other beloved kids' shows, starting with Barney, the heroin-addicted purple dinosaur. And, uh, the I don't know why I bother to care, Bears. Uh, then there's Boo's Clues, uh, SpongeBob No Pants, uh, um, Dora the Horror, uh, the Drug Rats. How about Dr. Seuss's On the Juice? Mr. Dress-Up in Drag, for all you Canadians out there, and uh, the Baron Panty Stain Bears, or, or the Teletubbies Obesity Gorge Fest Challenge, and, and my all-time favorite, Mr. Rogers' Back Alley Crackhead Neighborhood. Yeah, that'll fix him. Fix him good. In our last story for the evening, to celebrate the 75th birthday of John Lennon on October 9th, his widow and performance artist Yoko Ono helped organize an event in New York Central Park to imagine peace by setting the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest group of human bodies to form a peace sign. Now, although Yoko's efforts to honor her late husband's legacy was a success and did bring together over 2,000 people for the event, the gathering failed to break the world record that was set in 2009 and still stands at about 6,000 people. But all in all, considering the mountains of puerile nonsense that endlessly emanates from all the shenanigans of the celebrity elite these days, I must say it's it's kind of refreshing to see some famous people at least attempting to do something worthwhile on this planet in the name of peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope And let us not forget, this year marks the 35th anniversary of John Lennon's assassination on December 8, 1980. So please, everyone, would you take a moment with me, oh relic, and commemorate the all-too-short life of a man whose unwavering vision and strength of purpose served as a reminder to us all what power each of us has as individuals and together to stand up and speak the truth. 
in memory to this late Beatlelite, I'd like to share part of a song by Bob Dylan, whose tribute to John Lennon appears on his latest album, Tempest. It's called Roll On John. Another bottle's empty, another panic band. He turns around and he slowly walked away. They shot him in the back and down the way. Shot him down. Another show for this week, kids. I guess it's time for me to put aside this worldly burden for now. I'm just too tired even to throw another log on this dying fire. So I guess I'll just meander off to bed now and hang my head down upon the pillow and enter that chasm of dreams that lies between darkness and the dawn. So until next time, kids, it's your old friend Relic here, Zane. Always remember, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. All right, thanks, Relic. That was... um... Moving. Moving and informative and funny. funny and all good things happening to one. Um, we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. We hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks to our callers and to our listeners and to our chatters. We'll be back next week with another show. Until then, stay safe and have a good evening or day or whatever. And read up. See you next week. Bye-bye. Keep your eyes open.